word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. I look forward to this conversation, and if it's anything like uh, what we were just discussing off air, I think it's going to be uh, a fantastic opportunity for the audience to learn about not just what being an entrepreneur is and when it starts, and I think it starts really early, and we're learning that from so many young people and schools that are building entrepreneur programs, but how that impacts our our perception of self and brand. Uh, and with that, I want to welcome in, in depth with Graham Bessinger, the Graham Bessinger, uh, to the, to the program. Graham, look, we talked off air about just some of the background of you and what you've been building over time. I want to start with this. So let's go deep <laughs> right away. Um, tell me about your relationship with success. Relationship with success. Uh, something I strive for. Uh, something I have never felt like I've uh, achieved, uh, personally. However, through the show, it, it's something I, I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to sit across from on a episode in, episode out, uh, sort of, uh, basis. Uh, you know, we, are lucky to have the chance to profile some of the most notable figures on the planet, whether that's, you know, Tom Hanks or Richard Branson or Lewis Hamilton or, you know, whoever it, it might be, these larger than life figures who have achieved a great deal of success in, in, in their own right. And, you know, I, I pinch myself quite regularly um, knowing that not only do we get the chance to travel to all these interesting places, but I, I get paid to sit across from uber successful people and just learn about their path to their position and highs and lows and lessons learned. It's uh, a great treat. Talk about the highs so over the journey, right? So in doing prep, I mean, you've been doing this and, and pursuing this, the brand of what you're doing here in media since you were a young kid, right? You know, going to the ballpark early, wanting to get autographs, sort of wanting to get the behind the scenes access. I would imagine that the highs change over time, right? So in the beginning, I don't know, you tell me, I mean, I, there's that great clip of your dad talking about picking up the phone and it's, it's OJ or it's Ernie Banks, like, what those highs are at the beginning of the of the journey where you've secured a guest and what it's like now, because, you know, you have an incredible roster of people that you've talked to that at some point it becomes, I would imagine, not commonplace or expected, but people want to be associated with those who have influence. And so you've reached this, I think, level and any entrepreneur, when they reach that level of success, do you have to remind yourself, like, how do you stay engaged and excited with that sort of youthful, I don't know, exuberance that keeps people going? Uh, first, there's always the excitement over the big get, uh, you know, whoever that might be. And it's still as much of a challenge as ever to get the right access to the right talent for one of these tapings. Because, uh, you know, while when I'm in eighth grade as a 14-year-old just starting out, the big get might be 
a 15 minute phone interview with, you know, the, uh, the Hall of Fame athlete. Now it's, you know, might be traveling to the other end of the world to spend a few days with some A-list a star. So the, 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 the goalpost kind of changes over time. Uh, so I, I, I still get as excited as ever when it comes to getting the big get. Uh, signing on a big advertiser sponsor relationship. Uh, signing on a, a big distribution partner to carry the show. Um, I, I really view my job as pretty much all sales absent the, the, the preparation for the taping and the actual taping. Um, you know, I'm on the road probably 250 days a, a year for work. A very small portion of that pandemic notwithstanding is the taping travel. Uh, the rest is you know, meeting with, you know, business partners. So whether it's trying to sign on a, a big distribution relationship or, you know, uh, add sales or book a big guest, that's kind of all, all sales. So, um, I, yeah, get as kind of excited for the, the wins as ever before. So how do you, what, what's the best label for you? You talked about sales. You're, you're on, Camera talent, I don't, that probably doesn't do you, do you justice in your ability to ask really good questions and thoughtful questions, um, and give people space. Like, you're not afraid of the pause, which I think is something that people who follow you, I think that they appreciate, which is you let, you're, you're a bit of a decanter, right? You let the wine breathe and then see how they respond. So, what label do you feel most comfortable with? Or it's that, it's that old pair of jeans. Is it the, is it that you're a business owner? Is it that you are an, a, you know, an editor of sorts, a content creator, like what makes the most sense for you at the end of the day? I, I, I guess I kind of view myself as interviewer and entrepreneur. Um, I, you know, I, I've actually never really thought of it, but, you know, any, any more than that. I, I mean, for me, you know, really anything I, I've done today, it's been more out of uh, necessity, for kind of next step than having charted any like clear cut path and having this kind of grand plan for the show. You know, you were talking about kind of me getting uh, an early start when I was, you know, eighth grade, you know, 14 years old. I, I think I was just super lucky that a childhood hobby and passion was able to turn into a, a, a career. And then, you know, I get laid off early into my career and realized nobody's going to give me the type of opportunity that I was looking for. So just thought I'd see if I could try and figure out how to do it on my own. And uh, then kind of lucked out that as I was doing that, the media landscape was changing. So there was more kind of more of a receptiveness to, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. And so, uh, yeah, that's, you know, kind of, yeah, I, I wish uh, there was more to it than that. <laughs> <laughs> the sense of being uncomfortable in that space of, of, look, I think it's natural for humans. We want to put labels on people. We want to put things on a shelf. But you, you have to be a lot of things when you're an entrepreneur. What was that moment when you realized that you were an entrepreneur? I mean, you're an interesting, 
your age and when you, your generation is very interesting because it's the, you're right. This transition in media, right? It was we went from a world where Sports Center was everything to then questioning was it whether it was the personalities, right? And we had Roy Firestone and Dick Schapp, right? And we had Keith and Dan and. Was it them or was it the entity, right? Was it the mothership in that regard? And this huge sort of tectonic shift that you were right, you know, sort of dead center in. Um, was there a moment when you said, wow, I'm on top, I'm riding the wave. I'm in the midst of this and I kind of need to hit go. Uh, you know, when you're in it, you're just trying to come up for, to have a moment to come up for air, uh, let alone kind of look around and realize or recognize where you're at. So I, I don't think there was ever a time where I, I, I was conscious uh, enough or had um, maybe even thought highly enough of myself to kind of consider my, or take a step back and actually consider myself that it's all, always just kind of been more out of necessity. However, there were moments where I recognized, you know, if I don't lean in here and figure out a way to invest more money, regardless of whether or not I have it, then I'm going to fail. Uh, you know, you reach those kind of in, inflection points where, you know, you're maxing, all your time out there, there's, you know, no more hours you can physically put into something. You need to hire your first people. Then your staff is maxing their time out. Even if you don't have the budget for it, you need to figure out how to come, come up with, you know, so there, there's these moments where, you know, if you don't grow, you're going to die. And I, I think I've been lucky that I, I've, generally been able to recognize those and have uh, made, you know, not always the best decisions, but um, no catastrophic decisions so far to, to date. And I'd say kind of it's been more that for me. Talk about, I know you mentioned that there was a point in time when you had, you you know, taken out like 400000 in a line of credit and it was, you're at a fork in the road. Um, talk about that space and time, because I think for so many, I mean, look, I'm 45. When I was growing up, Graham, we didn't talk about being entrepreneurs. I mean, that was just not a part of it. It was, I, I grew up in Detroit. It was kids talking about their dads working for suppliers of the big three. I mean, it was still that kind of conversation. And yet now we have young people that right out of the gate, they're thinking about how many businesses they may or may not be a part of or start. And one of those elements is what is your, in essence, pain threshold for when the stuff hits the fan <laughs> and you're sitting there staring a debt right down the barrel of a gun? And I think a lot of times people will judge that what that fear of the fear in whether or not they're going to pursue being an entrepreneur. But almost every entrepreneur has gone through that. What was that like in the moment? How do you think about that now in, in, you know, retrospect and what is a lesson that you sort of would, I guess, give along the way for those that are thinking about that? Well, I think I had the benefit of being young enough that I didn't know any better. Uh, you know, it's, very easy to think about wanting to do something and having some general idea of the time perspective. But then when you're actually in it and, you know, all of a sudden 
you know, this passion and hobby turns into a career, then the career is no more. And then you're trying to revive it by doing your own thing. And then your own thing becomes kind of all consuming where it's, you know, every waking moment of the day, it's all you're doing. And then all of a sudden, not only have you invested all of your money and your life savings, but you know, severely in debt because you're all in and taking a loan out from the bank. Like at, at, at that moment, I, like I wish, I, I wish I could say, yeah, I, I knew I had to do this, that, and the other, and I was, you know, like all, all, all in because I'm this, you know, amazing entrepreneur. Like the reality is, you don't have a choice because if you don't do it, you're just you're going to screw the rest of your life because you're going to be, you know, destitute and financially crippled. So it, it's, you don't really, when, when you reach that point, you, I mean, yeah, you can give up, but like, I, I mean, it's kind of borderline devastating if, if you do that. So, um, you know, I was benefited by not knowing any better. And then once you're in it, you just don't really have, have have the choice. So I think the lesson I I've learned to date is it was really important to me to try and put myself in a situation where uh time investment and results could have some correlation. Because in my prior roles, uh you know, I got laid off of uh NBC Sports where I was doing digital work for them as, you know, a 20, 21, 22 uh, year old at the height of the kind of great recession. Uh, it really didn't matter in my prior roles, the, like the, the, the metrics of the, the content I was creating, you know, there were budget cuts and to no fault of my own, I was out of a job. So I, I just wanted to try and be able to, be in a situation where I could have control over the outcome. So that was kind of the biggest thing for me because uh, I, I don't think I'm the best at having a boss or people that I answer to. Granted, you know, still very much have a boss today because, you know, we have distribution partners and sponsors and et cetera. So there are people that you're held accountable to, but it's, you know, a little different structure. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of the biggest thing for me, putting myself in a situation where I had more control over the outcome. So maybe this is, maybe it was because you were young, but I am curious. When I talk to entrepreneurs off the record, right, whether they are interview subjects or neighbors or dads at, at soccer games, there's this notion that the minute that we we sort of put ourselves out there publicly and we just even, you know, look, we're going to start X, that there's this pressure, this, this, this fear that we have that almost every time, like if I, if you and I are seeing each other at the soccer field, right. And kids are playing every time you run into me or someone that you've shared this news, if you're starting a business, you almost feel that you have to share an update. Like there's a, that there's growth over time. And I, and I've heard some incredible stories where people have, in essence, made up that they have a team, that they're building a team, and you really dig deeper, and that that we is really an I. Um, but this this pressure that we all feel to show growth, um, 
an attainment of success as we're building it, right? Because we have the right idea. We've, you know, we've cracked the code, these sorts of things. What was that like along the way as you were going? I mean, I know you had some points of inflection where, you know, you, you interview T.O. And, and that sort of blows up nationally and you interview O.J. and then you're getting death threats. So you had some things that I think were really flags in the ground. Um, but talk about that pressure to have that conversation where you could either share there were financial challenges or self-doubt. But how did you handle that? And did you have certain people that you shared everything with? Or did you have something right out of the gate? You said, I'm keeping this to myself. It is just myself and my mind. And when I go to bed at night, I'll process that. Yeah. Um, well, a, a couple things that come to mind. And I guess the biggest one was when I was transitioning from being, you know, a hired hand. So, you know, working for an outlet to being out of a job and then starting my own thing. Uh, during that time, you know, in my early twenties, all, everybody kind of in my social circle thought I was a success because, you know, I'd been on the tonight show and some other late night shows and had some interviews that got a lot of exposure. You know, meanwhile, I, you know, I'm a college dropout. I left school after a year and a half because I was getting good work opportunities. All of a sudden, I have no job. Uh, I have no money, so I'm living in my old bedroom at my parents' house. And so there's this kind of perception on the outside that I'm this success. And, you know, personally, I, I think I'm, you know, anything but and feel very much, you know, like a failure and realize that, like, if I don't, figure out a, a solution to this, I'm going to need to go out and get a real job in, you know, short order. The the, the, the clock is ticking. Um, so there was that, and that was kind of personally motivating for me and always made conversations socially kind of strange. Uh, and then, you know, when you're in it and in some of those kind of toughest periods, uh, I, I, I remember I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it. It was, you know, you have your kind of close friends, but, you know, in your social circle at that time, I mean, people are just coming out of college or going from college to grad school or college to and entry level jobs. And so there's not really anybody that you can identify or that I could identify with and share those experiences with. So, you know, when stuff was at its worst, it can, it's a kind of crippling feeling, both, um, you know, mentally, physically, like you're all in, like it's, you know, not fun, but there's, you know, no other choice. I, I think if I had to do it again and I could change anything, it would be, you know, having somebody that I could talk to about those experiences because it would have helped me get through it. And now I, I think it's better because, uh, you know, you can just easily, I mean, granted, I could have gone to the library then and read books, but now you can just go on YouTube and type in whatever you're searching for and find somebody, uh, you know, t talking to uh, about that. Even, you know, 12, 13 years ago when I was, or 10 years ago when I was doing it, it was 
there was kind of less of that content readily available at your fingertips. So, yeah, that's, I think, kind of what it was like for me. Talk about managing that stress. Um, it, how do you know? Or, I mean, I think we're our, our, the best witness, right? We know when we are approaching a point of exhaustion or, in essence, we just can't, we don't, we can't operate. We've got so many things going on as an entrepreneur. What is that like for you? Do you have a, is there some marker for you? Is there a Cliff Notes version of, man, I need to, this is my indicator that things are breaking down. I can't be everything to everybody and, and I need to circle the wagons for myself. Well, back then I remember there was a moment, um, I was living in like a bedroom at, uh, uh, my, parents had like a rental apartment and they were letting me stay there rent free. And we had somebody cancel an episode taping on us. And I needed a new taping with like last minute, the the night before we were supposed to fly out. And I needed a, a new taping within a few days of that to be able to have something produced in time for error that was even marginally uh, decent and, you know, had no team. We're doing all freelancers. So, you know, to find a new team of people on a couple days notice to fly somewhere, let alone find a new guest to book on a few days notice when you normally spend a hundred hours preparing for something, you know, a, a nightmare. Um, and I just, I remember kind of for me, that was the, the moment where I was just like, you know, sitting on a bed in this apartment realizing like, like I can't like, like, like that is, it was just like, that's my max. Like, you know, you reach a point where you're just like, you can't like physically, uh, you know, give any more, um, like, I, I think it's moments like that, though, that help you, you know. Um, yeah, it like teach you like capacity, what you can handle. Yeah, I, I don't know, like super, like just super valuable experiences to be able to go through that. Building that resiliency. Yeah. And then, like, as you go through situations like that, more often, you know, on occasion over time, it then, at least for me, I think taught me to manage stress and pressure, at least marginally better, where as now, you know, stuff that would normally whack me out completely, uh, it's just, you have an easier time with and have kind of learned that's part of the game. And then over time and you have a little more success, you then have more resources. So you were able to build a team to handle some of the, the, uh, crap as well. So you aren't, you know, shouldering everything. And yeah. Let's talk about brand. So I always find it interesting when a company is the person and their name, um, because we are in a world where brand is everything, right? You, you, you have to, you, You've got to be aware, I guess, of, of how you're represented, what you're aligned with, what you're associated with 24-7. Um, at what point did you realize, 
I've got to take this very seriously. I can't just be the young, cute kid out there where people go, oh, that's so nice, right? You know, <laughs> he went to school with Costas's kid, and he's just persistent, right? If you'd been doing that at 30, who knows what the response might have been. But at what point did you say, wow, I really need to think about this because my name is on is on the on the cover here, right? And there, But there are implications to that as well because it, I would imagine that you feel like you're in a fishbowl. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, early on, it's very clear I was getting access to folks because, you know, it's the novelty of a 14-year-old kid running around the locker room or even in... Because the guts to ask some deep questions, right? Right, or even an 18 or 19 or early 20-year-old kid with uh, audience size... Or I'm sorry, with access disproportionate to uh, audience size. Uh, but, you know, it was kind of a very natural progression, uh, I, I think, in terms of, you know, it becomes increasingly obvious that you can't use, uh, you know, oh, I'm a 30 you know, five-year-old doing uh, <laughs> interviews is a, a selling point. Like, who cares? You know, you're like everybody else. Um, so there, there's that, and you begin to recognize, you know, your judge based on the, the quality of your work as opposed to, you know, bullet points and, uh, you know, a pitch email in terms of being able to get access to, you know, some of these larger than life figures or get on outlets that, you know, give you big audience sizes. Uh, you know, so I, I think there's like that piece of it. And then I, at, at an early age, I think I was always conscious of being careful about whatever you put out into the, you know, digital ecosystem because that's out there forever and they probably give a lot of credit to my parents for that who've big been big influences uh to me but uh yeah whether it was you know a picture from a party that you uh, you know untagged that gets posted on facebook or just always kind of being conscious of you know what you put on twitter or you know where wherever um you know, there's not a lot of, I think I was always uh, operated under the thinking that there, you know, there's not a lot of uh, upside by posting any, anything that's uh, even, you know, borderline controversial or inflammatory, especially considering, you know, you want to get access to people from, all walks uh, of life, regardless of what their beliefs or, you know, political affiliations might be. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now back to our guest. So talk about the transition, because when you were young, right, you're you're a teenager, you know, you're, you're just dressed like a teenager. And then all of a sudden it's 
you flip over into incredibly professional. So that to me seemed like a transition. Was that in depth? Was that when you kicked off the show? Like that had to be a conscious, I think, choice to say, I want people to experience me this way, just like an Oprah might or some, you know, a Dan Patrick. So talk about that piece, because I would think that that's a part of the when you're conceiving of an audience that may or may not be interested in what you're building, there's an expectation. We want we want to know what we can get from Graham or anybody else that we watch or that we listen to. Talk about that, because that, to me, lends itself to how you're staging the interviews and what kinds of locations, lighting, the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, it plays a huge role. I wouldn't imagine that was just by accident. I think it was just by accident. No, I was giving I, you more credit. I mean, I, I didn't know the first thing about anything, and anything that I I figured out was just based on people I had the opportunity to talk to in the production business or at sales or distribution business and any uh, institutional knowledge I was able to gain that way. But it was, you know, when this started, all I knew how to do was conduct a half decent interview and, and book a, a guest. And that was about it. And so you just learn from trial and error and figure out, uh, kind of what you're comfortable with and what looks good and doesn't look good. And, uh, you know, then with reps and experience, you start to uh, develop kind of mannerisms on, on camera and, you know, all of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I wish I could say I had any sort of uh, plan. It was really – you had people looking out for you, I guess, that were pointing you in the right direction. I, I yeah, I don't think pointing. I, I think, I think there were a lot of people who took their time to give advice or to, you know, sign on to be part of our team for wages that were um, below what they should be getting. Who who deserve a lot of credit. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there there wasn't like any one person I went to for advice, but there were a lot of people that uh, helped out a lot when they didn't need to. And uh, you know, I, I think also any young entrepreneur, uh, like I would highly encourage to reach out to people in the business who you aspire to be like because. Even if it takes a few messages or they don't respond, some will. And, you know, th- those conversations go a long way in not only immediately helping, but then developing a network is important and relationships are important. And whether or not they immediately benefit you or 10, 15 years down the line, at at, at some point, knowing that person could stand to create an opportunity for you. And so there's only upside in doing that. And, you know, a skill that I think is really not taught enough in our educational system is sales. Like, you know, it doesn't really matter what you want to do in life. Nobody's going to be a better salesman for yourself than you. And so I think it's really important that people learn how to do that, push themselves to get out of their comfort zone. Might not always work out, but it, you know, is only beneficial to know how to do it. Let's let's pivot and talk about the evolution of media, you know, 
now as we as we stand here 2021 2022 everybody can put a podcast out everybody can everybody does everybody does (laughs) um everybody has an opinion they write something they think everyone should be reading it and watching it um what's the impact on on you and in depth and how does that then play into what your larger goals are do you have to be that much more innovative in your mind is that something that builds in the necessary fear to sort of keep the coal and the locomotive going. Talk about just the changes that we've seen because it's now a very, very crowded market. Yeah. Uh, first, I have a very long way to get to where I'd like to be professionally and with the show. So I should say that from the outset. I definitely don't have uh, all of the answers. I, I think my career or at least hope my career is very much in its infancy relative to uh, my goals. You know, I think it's a great thing that the barrier of, you know, it's, you know, low cost, easy barrier entry. Now, I I think so often people have been uh, unable to break into the industry because of various factors, money, notably now, you know, for a nominal cost, you can, you know, develop an audience. It's hard, but having success in any industry is hard. You know, it's like not rocket science. You, you know, work hard to create a quality product. And if you, you know, invest the time, you're going to develop your craft. And if you develop your craft and, continue to invest the time, you're going to grow an audience and, you know, you can, anybody can, can figure it out. So, uh, I also think competition is good. Uh, you know, we're, we have far below the audience I, I'd, I'd love to have, but, you know, I, I think with, more people in the space, harder to, to develop an audience. But if you continue to work at it and you feel the competition and use it as motivation, then it's all, uh, you know, helpful tool. So I, I like it. And it's, um, you know, it's hard, but, you know, nothing's it easy. It doesn't scare you. Do well at it. Yeah. So what is, so talk about that. So you've said this a couple of times that this is not the, you're not at the end, uh, you know, phase, right? Sure. So you're not a complete product in this way. So you're continuing to iterate. So where do you envision in-depth going? Is it just in-depth? Are there derivatives to that? There, you know, daily efforts where people get engaged with you? What do you envision as being a way to not only build audience, but potentially, I guess, opportunity in what you're doing? I, I mean, I, I think long-term, uh, first and foremost, continuing to improve the quality of our product. Single most important thing. Uh, you know, I, I think with that, I'd like to continue to build the audience size. As you improve the quality of the product, you know, you're, you can grow the audience size. As you grow the audience size, you have the resources to improve the quality of the product. You know, so they, they do go hand in hand. Um, I need to continue developing as a, a talent and, and interviewer. Uh, long term, I'd, uh, you know, like to continue to open the show up in terms of subject matter. So, you know, right now we primarily feature, 
uh, athletes or people with some connection to sport. Um, I, I would, you know, very much like the, the show to be in a position where, you know, one week we're having on President Obama, the week after that, Julia Roberts, the, you know, week after that, some big name athlete, the week after that, you know, Kanye West. Uh, I, I, to me, there's really no difference in interviewer or, or in interview, whether it's an athlete or somebody else. It's talking to successful people about their path and highs and lows and lessons learned like we um, already discussed. So uh, there's that piece. And then just continuing to evolve is media uh, evolves. We have the the linear product that airs on broadcast and cable. We have the the digital product that is you know YouTube and and, and Facebook. We have the the out of home taxi uh, product, and we're you know in the process of developing the the streaming uh, product, which obviously is where uh, you know everything's going in the OTT space. So. Uh, that all is exciting to me. And, you know, if we don't continue to evolve and grow, we're going to die. So it's like, it's as simple as that, but it's, it's the game and it's, you know, kind of fun. Talk, talk to me. I, I'm going to make an assumption here that you've been, um, people have come to you with offers, right? So talk about the temptation to, and I think it's, it, there's two sides to this coin. Um, the temptation to leave what you're doing where you are the decision maker, right? Your name is on the, on the plate. Um, and thinking about whether it's the mothership or any other entity that says we've got to have Graham and, and his talent come to us because we're in the acquiring talent business kind of a thing. I would imagine you've had some opportunities here and there. Um, what is that like to, to even, and if you haven't even contemplate that, because there's so much energy and effort. There are, there are relationships that I think suffer when you're building your own business. I mean, you, you're traveling 250 days a year, and we haven't even talked about the personal side. I would imagine there are, there's an exchange there, right? There's a transaction where you are giving up something for something else on the other end of it, right? And so talk about the temptation to, I guess, allow others to do it so you can breathe. Because I think every entrepreneur gets to that point, whether it's just sort of a rough Friday after a rough week. But that feeling of, gosh, I'm just exhausted, and maybe it would be nice to have someone else drive the train. Yeah, uh, difficult in it right now. Um, you know, I, I think to me it's less about if it impacts time investment, because I, I don't know that uh, regardless of the situation, at least for me personally, it would impact kind of, Time investment. I, I think for me, a lot has to do with will it improve and allow us to go, grow the quality of our product, the the, the content, um, and then with that, can we maintain and grow? You know, our team of people who, you know, we have. With I think 12 full-time folks now with a couple more full-time, we'll probably be 15-ish, uh, you know, in the next, you know, month or two, um, which still very small, but biggest we've, you know, ever had in terms of uh, full-time folks. And these are people that have, you know, put in years of, of their, you know, professional efforts towards kind of similarly 
growing and pursuing uh, these goals of ours. So um, I I think a lot has to do with that and then also ensuring that we're in a position where we can minimize potential for downside uh, and never again be in a position where you know, to no fault of our own, we're out of a job. So, you know, if you can kind of figure out those factors, whether continuing to be independent or, you know, putting kind of not all your eggs in one basket, but, um, you know, making one out with the driving force, uh, I, I, those are kind of the, the factors that I weigh. So reading between the lines in your body language, I'm going to make some uh, some some guesses or some thoughts here. You, you tell me fair or foul, but my sense of you is that there's a great sense of responsibility. This is not just the Graham Bessinger show or company in this regard. You care very deeply about the people that have supported you along the way. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, whether they're running a business that is in the public domain or not, right, they're behind the scenes, there are those times where you say, Man, just on its surface, this would be a great decision for me, right? But I don't know if it's a great decision for those that are with me and the struggle, because that's a very hard thing to share or discuss. Am I, am I picking that up correctly? I mean, I, I, I can sense it from you and it's not that Zoom is in this, you know, sort of 3D realm where I can like, but I get this sense from you that there's so much more than just the show, the product. And what you want to do going forward, there are human beings tied to these decisions. Right. And that is really the driving force. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're in season 12 or year 12 of the show now. The first very many seasons, I think I was pretty dismissive of others' efforts. Uh, you know, less out of intention and more just out of lack of consciousness because you have your head down, you're overwhelmed, just trying to, you know, you can barely figure out right from wrong yourself, let alone, uh, you know, take the time to give, you know, that a boys to, you know, people that you're working with. Completely wrong, uh, uh, but, you know, unintentional. Um, over time, you realize, I think, more because you're just forced to because, you know, you aren't doing the things necessary to build a team. So people, you know, leave you and you, you know, ask why. And, you know, you understand you can't do everything yourself. You just learn to kind of appreciate and respect, you know, others for what they bring to the table because like it is truly a a team effort. I'm uh, a key part of it, but only part of it. Uh, And so it's, it's hard building a a good team. Um, I I think we have, I think I I know we have the best team we've ever had before. Uh, And, you know, it can go away quickly. It, you know, like I, I've lost, you know, many years back, a, a 
of a lot of people before. And, you know, it can be like devastating. So when, you know, you recognize that you're in that fortunate of a a position to have a a great team, you want to do whatever you can to kind of maintain that, um, you know, one selfishly, but then two, uh, you over time to your point, recognize that, you know, it's a, a responsibility and one you should not take for, for granted, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, people have, you know, mortgages and, you know, spouses and kids and, you know. Is it okay to be selfish as an entrepreneur? Is there some level of expectation even from employees just in general, not just you, where, you know, if, if I'm working for you, I kind of want you to be a little bit selfish because it's gotten us to this point. I mean, it, it does feel like it is a fine line uh, to thread that needle. Uh, I don't think people um, necessarily expect it. I, I think they might grow to accept it. Uh, you know, I think it's, I would assume it's hard for anybody coming from a different job where they have, you know, a typical boss who, you know, wasn't running the company and was, you know, hired and, you know, their, everybody's jobs don't depend on that boss meeting, you know, certain financial goals where everything's riding on kind of their, their shoulders. Um, so, you know, I I think oftentimes it's probably unfair for the person that you've hired to be in that situation where more attention isn't paid to kind of their day in, day out uh, duties. But, you know, when you have a small team and tight budgets, especially early on, you're just trying to do what you can to you know, keep the lights on and it's, uh, not in any way a reflection of, you know, what this person or that person who works under you is or isn't doing. You're just trying to, you know, stay afloat. All right. So as we are now in the fourth quarter of our discussion here, let's go a little bit lighter. So my, my nine-year-old Heath Berger wants to be a sportscaster. And so I was telling you off air, he wanted me to ask you what interview got away. What's the uh, one that wait. sticks in your craw? Uh, that you're okay saying Paul. Well, I, I was okay. I'm not going <laughs> to the name right here, but I, I have one where uh, I mean we're in it right now. Where you know we've done uh, a taping with you know this person, and you know they they don't they've decided they don't want to do the rest of it for reasons that you know really make no sense. Um, but, you know, everybody has their, their reasons. And so, you know, there's always, there's always something. And I, I think, uh, one of the challenges that you have to grow to enjoy in order to continue in a role like this is to, uh, you know, be able to deal with kind of the unexpected and different personalities and catering to egos and, um, you know, last minute requests that blow everything up. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, but I've had ones before where, you know, people get up from the interview because they think like my facts are wrong, where 
then they'll like actually double check it and realize we were right and then sit back down. Um, but you know, ultimately whenever there are problems, at the end of the day, it's my responsibility and my fault. Um, it's, you know, my job is in interviewer to make the person comfortable and, you know, I'm going in oftentimes hoping or some cases arrogantly expecting to be able to ask the person about the deepest, darkest moments of their life. And so, you know, it's on me to make them and make their reps comfortable. Otherwise I'm not doing their job. So generally where their issues, it's my failures and, you know, nobody else's. So you had the, the, the guts, the chutzpah, whatever you want to call it. I mean, watching that clip of you and OJ when you were much younger and you're asking him in essence, what is it like to be the OJ Simpson, the murder, like that label, right? You And he just kind of bristles at that. And I thought, I don't know where that came from. Is that like the young kid that starts gymnastics that doesn't realize they're flipping around and could absolutely maim themselves? And you go, they're just too young to know any better. Like, is that, was that the start of being able to ask questions that people might be thinking, but they never would have the guts to ask that sort of set you on your course as to how people understood what it would be like to sit down with you? I, I think you're, when you're younger, a little less aware of what's socially acceptable. <laughs> and, you know, I think something that I've had to figure out as I've gotten a, a little older is to how to kind of ask some of those questions that I want to ask without fear of what is or isn't, you know, socially acceptable. So, you know, it, it, some of the questions when I, I was younger, I mean, one, I didn't know any better. Uh, that's not to say I wasn't nervous because I was way more nervous when I was younger than I ever am now. Um, I would get nervous when I was asking something about a a topic that I knew was sensitive, uh, even if I had less of a filter. I mean, it would, a few questions before I knew I was going to ask it, I'd start feeling you know, my, my heart, uh, you know, pounding where you can barely focus on the conversation at hand because you're already thinking about what's going to happen, you know, in a few questions. I will still, to this day, when I, I know something very sensitive is coming, have, have those thoughts start to uh, creep into my head. But, um, you know, I also feel like with sensitive subject matter, Oftentimes, first, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt more often than not if you really do your homework and you come prepared, because most people do not. Um, and then tonality, you know, inflection, how you lead into a, a subject, it, you know, goes a really, really long way. You can get away with a lot with questions if you... Uh, you know, approach it in a non-threatening way. And so, uh, you know, I, I probably learned the most from the situations where I have not gotten the benefit of the doubt, where, you know, I piss people off with the question. Um, they're hard to look back on. And sometimes I don't even because it is so vivid in my mind, those situations where I screw up. But 
most commonly it's because I, I didn't lead into it the, the, the right way. So I think over time, those experiences has, have helped a, a, a lot with, you know, future interviews. When's the last time you sat down for an interview? And even though you did your 100 hours of prep, you had to remind yourself to be professional because you were excited to be in their presence. You have been a fan of theirs. Like, how do you separate? I think we've come a long way in fandom, right? Used to, you could never do that in, in broadcast journalism. You just didn't know people's affiliations. And now, if you don't, it seems a little bit odd. So when's the last time when you sat down thinking, I've got to, I've got to maintain center here because, I, I, you know, this could be a terrible interview, one that I might really enjoy over a beer, but the audience isn't going to like. Uh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, uh, yeah. I think it was like a year ago. I mean, it's Tom Hanks, you know. <laughs> I've been, uh, I, I was able to track down his email address and we were emailing off and on for like four years. Um, and it went from, you know, him not responding to getting a response every once in a while to we had it scheduled a couple times, then rescheduled a couple times, then canceled a couple times, and then, uh, you know, finally it was happening. Um, and so there's all the legwork that, you know, went into it, aside from the fact that, you know, he's one of the greatest he's Tom Hanks. of all time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Tom Hanks. So, and he was, like, into it. You know, we were supposed to, he was willing to give us an hour and a half, which I was floored by. And then he ends up giving us almost three hours because, you know, he was just uh, appreciating the fact that we've done our homework and asking stuff he hadn't been asked about a million times before. So, um, yeah, there are every once in a while you have those. It's certainly the exception as opposed to the norm. But those are also, you know, some of the most fun experiences as well. Would you say you're, you're you are? Are you living your your dream out when you think back at the you know the young kid that would get baseball signed and these sorts of things like is this you wouldn't have known it then but do you feel like you are actively engaged in in the dream that that you have built? Look, I, I mean, I think I always thought I'd be farther along than I am right now, but I, I think uh, I'm very conscious of how lucky. I, I am to be in this position and doing the only thing that I've ever wanted to do, you know, since high school and having a team of people and a, a team of partners and a family that, you know, believes in me and supports me in that endeavor. Um, yeah, feel super, super lucky. And, um, uh, like the, uh, admittedly, like, and this is no joke. At some point every day, I'm like, I just think to myself, how incredibly fortunate I am. So, yeah. What's I'll close with this? What's it like to be interviewed yourself? I mean, you're the, you're the one with the playbook typically, and and here I am, the the offensive coordinator today with my <laughs> questions and prep on you. <laughs> uh, I mean, actually, this is fun because most of the interviews that I, I've ever done have just been more you know, about who we're interviewing or, uh, you know, rarely do they ever go in this direction. And to the extent they do, it's only kind of momentary as opposed to extensive. So, and you've clearly, you know, spent time like doing your research, which 
Um, it makes it enjoyable and fun, so I, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, we want to thank Graham Bessinger. You can check out In Depth. Where can everybody go? I want to make sure. Like, I know for me, I'll, I'll let the audience know. I'm the Facebook guy that, you know, I close my night listening to podcasts all the time, and I watch Facebook clips, so I get all your stuff in my three to five minutes, you know, and then I'll mark it, and then I'll watch it later on YouTube. But where can people go? I mean, the one destination they can go to find out where all of our content is on all of our platforms is GrahamBensinger.com. Uh, then the, the next platform, the easiest one that I encourage people to go to is our YouTube channel. They can just search Graham Bensinger as that has all of our archived content, uh, uh, over the years as well. So those would be the, the two places. And again, you can see us weekly on, uh, TV, digital, podcast, et cetera, but GrahamBensinger.com is the best place for that. Well, keep keep crushing it. I think I think the entrepreneur audience is going to learn a lot just in what it's like and, and whether we are starting a shoe, uh, you know, a shoe company or a multimedia company or or a consulting company. I think understanding brand and our own place in that in that ecosystem is important. And Graham has done a very eloquent job of laying out just his experience and his journey. I think we're all the better for it. Once again, I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom.